Hi everyone. This week feels like living in November 1989 or September 2001. The news cycle moves so fast that you can't keep track. So you follow every news flash, but you miss the time to put it all in perspective. I remember listening all night to the BBC in the night that the Berlin Wall fell. Friends wanted to witness this moment and they asked me to join them, but I couldn't since I just started a new job and had to show up there the next morning. But when they came back a few days later, they brought me a small piece of the Berlin Wall and I recently had it in my hand again and I was cleaning out some old boxes and I looked at it, so I kept it. And another memory that's a bit similar to what I feel this week and last week is 9-11. And I remember I didn't do much else than just watch CNN for days in a row and the television didn't provide much more new information because the journalists didn't have much more information to share. But I just needed days to absorb the thought that terrorists did commit a crime at such an unimaginable scale that this was not just some kind of bad dream. And this is exactly what what happened to me when and I guess many people in the world, uh, when the news broke about the invasion in Ukraine, I just realized that the world is changing in a way that we had not imagined was possible. But what the impact will really be, we just don't know yet. So uh, we, we all experience these kind of moments in our lives where we just know that we witness that world his- history is unfolding. And these are markers of humanity's meandering paths of progress and downfalls on this planet. And this brutal Russian invasion of Ukraine is typically such a marker. It's a new chapter in the book of the history of the world. Now, today, the Danish Prime Minister, Mette Frederiksen, she announced that the main parliamentary parties had agreed that Denmark should become independent of Russian gas as soon as possible. And last week, the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said that Germany had to move quickly to reduce its dependence on Russia as an energy supplier. Germany also halted its Nord Stream 2 gas line project with Russia. And these are just two examples of European countries drastically changing their energy policies. And these are decisions that go hand in hand with radical changes in their defense policies. And the world hardly paid attention to the report that should have put climate change on the front page of all the newspapers. Because last week, the best climate scientists in the world warned in the latest IPCC report that there remains only a very brief and rapidly closing window of opportunity to secure a livable and sustainable future for all. This is an existential threat and the window is closing. And the next day on Tuesday... The president of the world's most powerful country and historically and per capita the most significant greenhouse gas emitter presented his State of the Union speech. President Biden mentioned the word climate only twice. Once in the context of modernizing infrastructure to win the international economic competition and to provide for more jobs. And he referred to climate again when he spoke about cutting energy costs for families an average of about $500 a year, also by combating climate change. And sadly, it seems that this brief period of optimism that I remember very well from a year ago when he just started, and then the world believed that we would finally see a, a significant step 
forward in climate ambition uh, in the lead up to to uh, COP26 in Glasgow. But that is now um, another chapter for the history books because priorities changed. The Russian invasion of Ukraine dominated the news. It pushed the IPCC report from the front pages. And it, it's it's um, in, 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 in these circumstances, the BBC interviewed a leading Ukrainian scientist who is now sheltering with her family in her apartment in Kiev. And Dr. Svetlana Krakowska, who's a member of the IPCC, said that the war is now closing this window of opportunity for the world to prevent the worst impacts of climate change. And the Russian invasion has only made painfully clear how much the European economy is dependent on Russian fossil fuels. About 40% of the EU's gas is coming from Russia. And such a dependency makes it extremely hard to decide on an embargo on energy imports from Russia. On top of that, you have some countries that are completely dependent on the gas from Russia. Italy, for instance. And I guess Bulgaria is another one. And the EU is still addicted to fossil fuels since its leaders systematically ignored the warnings from previous IPCC reports and all kinds of other reports. So such an embargo would have been very effective because the Russian economy depends for more than a third on oil and gas export and the rest is also very much on, on resources export. So Germany relies on Russia for 56% of its gas imports and about half of its hard coal and about 30% of its oil imports. But this dependency goes even much further. More than a third of the German gas storage facilities, so in Germany, are in the hands of a subsidiary of Russia's majority state-owned multinational energy corporation, Gazprom. So Deutsche Welle reports that all these sites that are in the hands of this subsidiary of Gazprom they have one thing in common. They are currently almost empty with levels at 10% or less of capacity. So the German Minister for Economy and Climate Action, Robert Habeck, he assumes that the storage facilities have been systematically emptied intentionally to drive up gas prices and to generate political pressure. Of course, Germany's hands are much more tied now that they don't have a strategic reserve, which is in the present German law, uh, it's uh, um, it stipulates that you, they need one for oil, but it doesn't say that they need one for gas and coal. And I assume that pretty sure uh, there'll be a law in Germany that uh, there should be uh, a, a storage like this for something like 90% at least uh, when the winter starts. But even though a decision to stop importing Russian, Russian fossil fuels can't be taken overnight, it doesn't mean that the Russian oil and gas industry won't be affected. The massive withdrawal that we've seen of international energy companies leaves the Russian fossil fuel industry without capital and also, and that's very important, without much needed expertise. And Europe will focus on rapidly reducing this dependency, whereby one option is speeding up the energy transition to renewable energy. Now, in a recent podcast, I referred to 
Denmark's quest for fossil fuel independence from other countries after the oil crisis and spoke a bit longer about this period in the 1970s, 1973 and 1979, uh, I think it's the second one, when uh, in that period 90% of the country's energy supply was based on imported oil and only 25 years later, rapidly fast, Denmark had become a net energy exporter and had earned a reputation as an innovator, innovator for uh, wind turbines. So I, uh, I wanted to stop here with just these these thoughts. But as as a very last uh, thing, I want to to quote um, Dr. Svetlana Krakowska, who is right now in Kiev in her apartment with her family as an IPCC expert who's well respected she's now in the midst of a war can't work on ipcc work or on climate change and she said in a recent interview a couple of days ago to bbc journalist she said it's amazing how the people of ukraine united against one enemy what we see right now and then she said but if we all unite against climate change we can also survive as a civilization, and I believe this kind of linkage that she showed uh, between uh, uniting uh, uh, on the issue of Ukraine as well as uniting on climate change should give some hope for the future in these uh, rather difficult days. I want to enter this part um, just for those who are still listening and for Gary who just joined um thanks for joining at such a late hour and at such a short announcement for a short uh, podcast i'll be back tomorrow um and on thursday as well as on and again on thursday so i'll, I'll i have three planned for this week potentially there might be another one so tomorrow at three o'clock eastern time uh, I will interview um, Tom Gamage, who was in the last weeks involved in this negotiation about a negotiation mandate for a plastic treaty. So it's very interesting to hear from him as a an activist for a plastic treaty, what the results so far are and what his expectations are for the future. Then on Thursday, 11 o'clock, again, Eastern time, um, I have the podcast with... Uh, Vanessa Champion on um, uh, on on green living, all kinds of aspects of green living. Last week we spoke about cities. For this week we have a few things we're still working on. And then at 3 o'clock, also on Thursday, 3 o'clock Eastern time, uh, there is uh, the weekly podcast that I always do with Alistair Doyle where we look back at the past week. Um, so that was it for this evening. Thank you, Chase, for <laughs> joining at this moment. I'll um, publish this one in five or ten minutes. It's a very short podcast, just ten minutes. Um, so I hope that uh, that you can listen. It's probably out in, uh, in in two or three minutes. It should be on the on the call-in app. Thanks so much for listening. And the next podcast are normally they're longer. They're normally like forty forty five minutes. That's what I normally aim for. Um, thanks so much. And hope to see you uh, at the next podcast. Bye-bye.